Good morning. It's Tuesday, August 24th. I'm Shamita Basu. Duarte Geraldino is off. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Now that the Taliban has control of Afghanistan, one of the biggest challenges is going to be figuring out how to prop up a fragile economy. The government is close to bankrupt, and the West has cut off access to billions of dollars in reserves. We reached out to Nabih Bulos, who's reporting for the LA Times in Kabul. He said there's a financial reason the Taliban is trying to frame itself as more moderate than before. So it's important to know that the Taliban really have been doing a charm offensive to try to keep aid flowing, right, and to make sure that sanctions are lifted. What that means is that they've been talking a big game about, you know, women's rights and about, you know, granting amnesty. You know, they want to have some legitimacy. Afghanistan is one of the poorest countries in the world, and it's a cash economy. Only 10 percent of adults have a bank account. And on top of that, places that do money transfers like Western Union have suspended services, cutting off another key source of funds for Afghans. And what that really means is, is that it'll be much, much harder to do business here. And what that means, you know, for the people is that they can't, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, they can't go to the bank and get their dollars. This remains to be the case. So, I mean, the Taliban have promised that they will be reopening banks next week. But all this is not enough without actually having funds to back the currency. Without all that, it's it's basically pointless. And what it really means is that the currency is going to skyrocket and, you know, all the stuff that's imported, and in the case of Afghanistan, that's a lot of stuff that's imported, all that will rise in price in a very, very high fashion. The U.S. and other international aid groups are hoping that by withholding financial aid, the Taliban will be pressured to make certain concessions. In the meantime, the Afghan economy is going through a major recalibration – figuring out how to churn along without billions of dollars in NGO and contractor cash. Nearly every county in California is under a state of emergency because of severe drought. Thousands of homes are running out of water as their wells run dry. And droughts are only expected to get worse in the coming years. The Los Angeles Times reports from the San Joaquin Valley, an area with some of the highest poverty rates in California. Residents who were once drawn to the fertile farmland are now facing the realities of hotter summers and tapped-out wells. Families are having to buy water by the gallon at the store just to take showers and cook. Nonprofits are stepping in to get people water tanks, access to bottled water, and new wells. The Atlantic has some related reporting. It recently spoke to a person who fixes wells in central California, and he is sounding the alarm. His name is Matt Angel, and he says almond and pistachio farmers are working in a way that's rapidly depleting a crucial source of water. He explains these types of farmers have been tapping into the region's vast underground aquifers for decades. There have always been other water sources as well, like snowmelt or nearby rivers, But lately, the San Joaquin River was running so low that in parts, it's barely a series of ponds. It's putting even more pressure on the aquifer. The loss of water is causing the land to sink and damaging existing wells. Angel says he's concerned the region is approaching a tipping point, that farming and development may be going too far. 
He tells The Atlantic, we're on the brink of losing our way of life. For a country that's been in lockdown, people in America have done a whole lot of shopping in the past year or so. Online shopping has made it super easy to click and get and not really overthink how things actually get to us. Well, Time Magazine did the overthinking for you. It brings us this reporting on what it took to get one specific toy from factory to doorstep. It's a four-foot-tall stuffed giraffe named Janie. Now, the details of Janie's journey help explain why lots of things are more expensive right now. See, Janie used to cost $87. I know, kind of steep for a stuffed giraffe. But now she costs $116. Time reports out the different factors at play here. And there are some really helpful data visualizations in this story, too. For one, shipping costs went up. Janie was made at a factory in China. And last spring, when the pandemic hit, factory shutdowns messed up the shipping schedule. When they reopened, there was a rush of demand for space on freight ships. More expensive spots on cargo ships mean higher prices. Janie the giraffe eventually got loaded onto a ship, along with other stuffed animals. But when her container got unloaded at a port in Los Angeles, it had to sit tight for a while. That's because there's a shortage of people working trains and trucks. Janie waited around for more than a month before getting to a warehouse in Texas. Time points out a real giraffe could have walked that distance in about half the time. At the warehouse in Texas, labor costs went up because it started paying employees more during the pandemic. The price of boxes, I'm talking regular cardboard boxes, went up because everyone else was ordering things online too. And the manufacturer had to set aside a percentage to pay Amazon a commission. And that chunk of money gets bigger as the price goes up. There are so many other factors I'm not getting into right now. The article lists them all out. But as Time puts it, in short, the rising prices are sort of everybody's fault and nobody's too. The surge in demand has affected every part of the supply chain in a way where bottlenecks aren't happening at any one juncture. They're happening at many different stages of the chain, sometimes all at once. Something to think about next time you order an item online. The journey it took was probably longer and more complicated than you'd imagine. The Paralympic Games are now underway in Tokyo. Sports Illustrated looks at some of the top American athletes who are competing. One of them is Jessica Long. She's a 29-year-old swimmer who's already racked up 23 swimming medals in four Paralympics. She won three gold medals when she was only 12 years old. Long was born in Siberia, adopted from an orphanage and brought to the U.S. when she was 13 months old. She was born without bones in her lower legs. She had both legs amputated below the knee shortly after coming to America. She said her life changed when she found out about the Paralympics. Competing gave her confidence. Her breakout success at such a young age came with some challenges. In her second Paralympics, she won four gold medals. But in one race, she took bronze, and that really stung. At the time, she asked her parents whether they still loved her, which, of course, they said they did. 
but it really rattled Long, and she considered retiring from elite swimming. Mind you, she was 16 years old. It took some soul-searching for Long to reframe her thinking, to separate the medals from her self-worth. By the time she returned to the Games at 20 years old, she said her priority was to have fun. She continued to compete and rack up more medals. Long says she realized when she was young, knowing that she was an orphan made her feel rejected. She swam to prove she was worth it. Now, she says, she doesn't have anything to prove. Even if she doesn't medal this year, she's one of the most decorated athletes of this century. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And if you like the show, take a moment to review us in the podcast app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.